Now, a few years ago, I was out hiking in the mountains. I was out in the Banff area. I think I was right around Lake Minnewanka, and it was gorgeous. You know, it was fall. There was a bit of snow out. You know, it was a really, really great time to just be alone in the mountains. I love getting out to the mountains, spending some time away from all the hustle and bustle of the city. And there I was, and as I looked over one of the mountains, there happened to be a plane shooting across the sky, leaving contrails, you know, like the smoke clouds that planes leave. And I was like, oh, that's gorgeous. And so I picked up my camera and I took the, the photo that you see there on the screen. It might be kind of hard to make out the, uh, the contrails, but let me tell you, it was a gorgeous picture. So anyway, I take this photo and while I've got the camera up to mine, I'm not paying attention at all to what's going on around me. This guy walks up, middle of nowhere, in the woods, you guys. So I take my camera down. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> a bear, a Sasquatch. I don't know what this was. So he says, it's terrible, isn't it? Just terrible. And I thought he was kidding. And I was like, yeah, man, it's awful. I hate living here, gosh. And then the face he made made me realize that he was totally serious. He really was saying, it's terrible. And I was like, wait, what? How? No, it's not terrible. It's gorgeous. Look at it. And he said, how can it be gorgeous the government uses those chemicals for mind control. Have you never heard of chemtrails? And I hadn't heard of chemtrails at the time. I had no clue what this guy was talking about. And so I was like, no, I, I don't know what you mean. I just, you know, it looks kind of like a beautiful cloud over the mountain there. And he said, let me tell you what's really going on. For 30 minutes, homeboy explained to me that the government puts chemicals inside of airplanes that get pushed out of the engines. And this is how they have mind control over all the population. Everybody in Canada, you know, around the world, this is how basically the Illuminati functions. 30 minutes, I went to the mountains for solitude. I got conspiracy theories. So finally, I was like, hey, thanks for the information, man. That's pretty cool. But listen, I got to take off. So I start walking away. He says, oh, I'll walk with you. <laughs> I am not a rude person. You can ask my wife. I will like put up with people for hours, but I wasn't having it with this guy. So he said, oh, I'll walk with you. And I said, no, that's okay. I'm good. And he said, we're both going back to the same parking lot. And I'm like, checkmate. I got nothing. So for 30 more minutes, he told me about how Justin Trudeau and the government of Canada was controlling my mind by these beautiful things I see in the sky. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that believes in a conspiracy theory. It doesn't matter which one it is. Could have been like JFK assassination, could be Area 51, could be chemtrails, could be any of them. If you've ever been around somebody who believes in a conspiracy theory, at some point you have to look at them and go, are you crazy? Like, how can you believe any of this nonsense? This is, I, I just don't see how any reasonable or rational person could believe in this level of conspiracy theory. And you might be thinking to yourself that only nutters believe in conspiracy theories, right? Like only fringe people in our society, folks who might need to go see a psychiatrist, folks who should be on some medication or who spend too much time on internet forums. You might believe that they're the only people that are susceptible to believing in conspiracy theories. 
But in actuality, 95% or so of the city of Calgary believes in what could be classified as the largest conspiracy theory that has ever been made in the history of the world. Do you realize this? 95% of our city believes in a giant conspiracy that surrounds Jesus, who he is, what he said and did, and how the church came to be. This, uh, this theory is really common, okay? In order to prove that, let me point out to you that in 2004 in Canada, there were two top-selling, best-selling books on the market. The nonfiction book of the year, the best-selling nonfiction book, was called The Pagan Christ. And again, this is the best-selling book of the year in Canada in 2004. And the whole premise of the book was that Jesus was just a good guy. And after he died, his followers deified him. They made him into more than he ever was for their own reasons. And so the book purports to explain how they came up with all these myths and legends about Jesus. So at the same time, the nonfiction book of the year in Canada was all about how Jesus was a myth and a legend and nobody should take his, uh, the claims made about him seriously. The number one best-selling fiction book in Canada was The Da Vinci Code. And The Da Vinci Code is a fictional story, but it's based on what some people believe to be a real theory that Jesus and Mary Magdalene had a baby in the scripture and that that baby went on to become the, the king of France and all the kings of France throughout the ages have come from the line of Jesus. And the church invented all the stories we read in the gospels to cover up Jesus's indiscretion. And because they had secret knowledge that nobody else did, the church was able to receive and maintain power. See, the vast majority of our society today buys into this common narrative about Jesus. That Jesus was a good guy, he was a wise teacher, but nothing more. That you could put Jesus on a level playing field with Buddha or Muhammad or, or Plato or Aristotle, or any other number of philosophers or religious leaders or whatever, because he was just a good guy who had some very helpful and interesting insights about who God is. But this common narrative, this conspiracy theory really is what it is, it goes on to say that over time, in order to gain power or wealth, Christians turned him into a god. They took Jesus the rabbi and they made him into Jesus the Christ. This is what most of your coworkers believe. This is what most of our world believes. Heck, you might even be here this morning and you're like, yeah, that's kind of what I believe happened. Fair, because that's what you've been told for years and years and years. But is any of that true? Is Jesus really just a normal guy who after his death was turned into something that he didn't intend? If Jesus came back to earth today, so to speak, would he look at all of us sitting in theater number one and say, y'all are worshiping me? What are you doing? No, God, only worship God, not me. I know I'm just, I'm just a messenger. I'm just telling you how you can know God and have a relationship with him. Would he freak out? Maybe we could put it like this. There was uh, an atheist one time who said, you know, Christians have long said that this story of Jesus is the greatest story ever told. And this very clever atheist said, actually, it's the greatest story ever sold. Is that true though? 
Is the stories of Jesus, is it all based on a lie? Is it all based on a myth? Is it the greatest story ever sold? Well, the short answer is not even close. No, 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 no. The claims about Jesus made in this common narrative, this conspiracy theory, they are demonstrably false. We can prove that Jesus was not just a good guy and over hundreds of years after his death, the legends were built up until suddenly people were saying he was a perfect miracle worker and he died for our sins and he rose from the dead, even though that stuff never happened. We can prove that that is not the way the story of Jesus developed or was passed down to us. So I wanna point out a few things that I think are interesting and might help you to realize the, the conspiracy theory nature of this particular narrative. The falseness with which most of our world looks at Jesus. First things first, you guys, Jesus claimed to be God. While he was here on earth, he claimed to be more than just a wise man. He claimed to be more than a simple rabbi. He actually claimed to be God. Now, some of you, this may be a little bit different than what you've heard in times past. Maybe you've taken a comparative religion course or you know, you've studied and read a bit about scripture and things like that. Maybe somebody has told you that there is no place in the gospels where Jesus ever says these three words, I am God. And you're right. Jesus never says, I am God, using those three words in that exact order. And the reason that Jesus didn't say those words is not because he was never claiming to be God. He was just a normal guy with some wise things to say. The reason that Jesus never said, I am God in first century Israel is because that would not have been a surprising claim. Do you understand that in the first century, in the ancient Middle East, Everybody claimed to be a God. Like every Roman emperor, every Caesar, they claimed that they had divine right to rule because they were God incarnate. Caesar actually called himself the son of God. They were surrounded by pagan religions. And in these pagan religions, there were hundreds and thousands and perhaps even millions of gods. People were running around all the time saying, I'm God, I am a God, I am a son of God. They were using that language constantly. And so in the 21st century, when we say, yeah, but when I read the gospels, I don't ever see Jesus saying, I am God. He didn't use language that would make sense to us in 2019. He used language that would make sense to his audience in the first century. See, Jesus was not interested in merely identifying as some form of a divine being. He didn't want people to think, oh, he's an angel come down to earth, or oh, he's a demigod, or he's one of many different kinds of gods. Instead, what Jesus wanted to do is he wanted to very specifically identify himself with the one true God of Israel. And if he wanted to identify with the one true God of Israel, he would not simply say, I am a God, because that statement would not have been meaningful in his particular context. Instead, he wants to show us something even more specific, but you have to put yourself in the mind of a first century Jew or Roman in order to understand what Jesus was saying. So look at this passage, John chapter number eight. We're gonna read verses 56 through 59. And Jesus, well, actually, so John, one of Jesus' earliest followers, one of his 12 apostles, he writes down a conversation that he witnessed between Jesus and some religious leaders of his day. 
And in this conversation, Jesus says to these religious leaders, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, hey, bro, you're not even 50 years old. How can you have seen Abraham who lived 2,000 years before this conversation happened? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Now, in 2019, you might read that and you're like, Hmm? Okay, I don't even understand how this relates to the idea that Jesus could be God. Y'all Christians are crazy, man. You'll, you'll read anything you want to into a passage, you know? Okay, but watch what happens next. This is so important. After Jesus said, before Abraham was even born, I am, at that point, the religious leaders picked up stones to throw at him. They wanted to kill him. But Jesus had to be hidden from them and escape the temple so that he would not be murdered. Ah, now there's an interesting clue. You see, to us, what Jesus said is kind of like, uh, okay, I don't, I'm not sure I get it. But to his audience in the first century, what he just said was so strong. It was so blasphemous to them that they were ready to kill him. Not, not just ready to kill him, they tried to kill him for the claim that he just made. Okay, so what is it? What is Jesus saying here that would be so crazy? Well, um, Abraham was a very important figure in the Old Testament. He's kind of the father of the Jewish people. He is like, he, his story is told in the early parts and mid parts of the book of Genesis, all the way back to the very beginning. Again, his story happened about 2000 years before Jesus was here on earth in Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And so Jesus says to these religious leaders, and they had been claiming that they were right with God because they were children of Abraham and they had followed all the rules that God had given to Abraham and his descendants. Jesus says, hey guys, your father Abraham, you put so much stock in being like his children and following his ways. He, way back in the day, knew that there would be a Messiah that comes and he was excited and looking forward to it. You say you're one of his children. But in reality, you don't have his heart. You're not looking forward to the Messiah coming. You wanna keep the status quo because that keeps you in power. When they say you're not even 50 years old, how can you say that you knew what Abraham wanted 2000 years ago? Jesus says, before Abraham was even born, I am. Now, uh, Jesus is, I believe, the son of God. And so he gets a pass for using bad grammar here. Like, I'm not gonna mark his little test and say like, oh, that, that grammar doesn't make sense, Jesus. Before Abraham was even bored, I am. That It doesn't seem to match up, right? That's because the word that he's using here, I am, is very, very special. Uh, several months ago, about a year and a half ago, I preached a series called God Has a Name. And we looked at the book of Exodus in which God has a conversation with a guy named Moses. And in that conversation, we can put it here on the screen so you'll kind of be reminded of what Moses was asking. Um, God tells Moses, I want you to go into Egypt and tell the Pharaoh, let my people go and all that jazz. And Moses protested, but if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, well, what's his name? Which God are you saying sent you? God replied to Moses, I am. I am who I am. And, and the, the one word that's used in that passage is actually four letters. You see it there, we pronounce it Yahweh. 
He says, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Say to the people of Israel that Yahweh, the one true God has sent you. And in fact, don't just say God generically. I want you to say it is Yahweh personally. I am has sent you. Fast forward 2000 years. And the Jews say, how can you even know what Abraham wanted? What he would have said. Jesus says, before Abraham even was born, Yahweh. And everybody said, no way, right? (laughs) I don't know if I'm allowed to make jokes like that, but I did. (laughs) Jesus, forgive me. Okay, you're a 21st century Gentile. You're a a Canadian. You were not a Jew, most of you probably. So this passage is lost on you. But in the strongest possible terms, Jesus says, I am the God of the Old Testament. He claimed pre-existence. Do you understand that? Before Abraham was born, Jesus said, I already was. So Jesus is saying something about himself here that is even more powerful. It is even more strong than I am God. He's saying, no, no, I am Yahweh, the one true God, the creator that people have been following for millennia. That's who I am. So Jesus claimed to be God. He just didn't use language you're familiar with. But there are a whole bunch of other things that Jesus did as well. And I'll put these here on the screen. We're not gonna read them all. We're just gonna go through them real quick. So yes, he used God's personal name to describe himself. He claimed to be one with God. He claimed to have perfect unity with God. Listen, if I were out hiking in the mountains and some guy walked up to me and he said, you know, me and God are one. My thoughts are God's thoughts. I never have a thought that God himself wouldn't have. I would run. I wouldn't like listen politely for 30 minutes. I would get as far away from this guy as I possibly can because clearly he's a dangerous and unbalanced individual. And yet Jesus said that exact same thing about himself. In John chapter number 14, he claimed that if you see him, seeing Jesus is the exact same thing as seeing God. He says, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. He claimed authority over nature. He calmed storms. He said he had the power to do that. And he claimed to have authority over even life and death. In John 10, 18, he says, I can lay my life down and I have the power to take it up again. Okay, so here's the deal. All of these claims, they make Jesus one of the most fascinating individuals in history. And the reason why is because there have been many people over the years that have claimed to be God. You realize that, right? Like I told you, the Caesars have done that. David Koresh back in the 90s claimed to be God. There are a lot of people throughout history that have walked around saying, I am God incarnate none of them ever went anywhere. They got a small handful of people to believe them. A few unbalanced individuals decided to move into a compound with old David Koresh. In the, in the Roman days, you know what happened? The Caesar would proclaim himself God in the flesh and all of his people were like, yeah, right on bro, in public. And then they'd get in their house and they're like, can you believe these idiots? How did they get in control? So there have been tons of people that have claimed to be God throughout the millennia, but they never got a significant number of the people to follow them. Then there's a second group of people and they have changed the course of human history. 
The things they said, the things they did, they changed the world so that things would never be the same. We see that with people like Plato. We see it with Muhammad. We see it with um, Einstein, right? The problem is if you take these two circles, or the interesting thing is if you take these two circles, people who claim to be God, people who got a significant number of the population to believe them and follow them, and you put them together in a nice little Venn diagram, there's only one person in the middle, Jesus. That is fascinating to me. Jesus has done something that no one else in history has ever done. He's claimed to be God, and he got a significant portion of the global population to believe it. Maybe there's something more to Jesus here than we've given him credit for. Tim Keller is a noted theologian and pastor, and he wrote these words. He said, in the whole history of the world, there's only one person who not only claimed to be God himself, but got enormous numbers of people to believe it. Only Jesus combines the claims of divinity with the most beautiful life of humanity. And then C.S. Lewis He had this to say when people are like, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a wise, moral guy, but he was nothing more. C.S. Lewis says, I'm trying to prevent here anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say because a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or he is a madman, or he is something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. So listen, I know you've been taught that Jesus, he never claimed to be God. He was just a a chill, wise man, and eventually he got deified. But if you actually read what Jesus said about himself, he made claims that he was more than a man. I also need to point out to you the claims that Jesus made about himself and the claims that his earliest followers made about him, they actually made it harder for people to trust Jesus, harder to become one of his followers, harder for them to be taken seriously. They didn't go the easy route. They went the hard route. Okay, you know that the disciples claimed that Jesus was born of a virgin, right? That's a tough claim to believe. The disciples said one night they saw Jesus walking on water like you and I walk on concrete. That's a hard thing to take seriously. You know, the disciples said Jesus touched lepers and they became whole and healed in an instant. You know that the disciples said Jesus raised people from the dead, that he calmed storms. This is a crazy one. You might not even realize this. Maybe I'll lose you at this point. Christians believe that Jesus never did anything wrong during his time here on earth. Did you know that? We believe he never sinned. He never lied. He never took advantage of anybody. He never judo chopped Simon Peter in the throat for being obnoxious. He never lost his cool. He never lusted after a woman. Jesus, we believe, the scriptures teach, and his earliest followers have claimed since day one was perfect. That ain't easy to accept. 
We believe that he allowed himself to be murdered so that he could raise himself from the dead. You guys, this is one of the stupidest sentences that could ever come out of my mouth. God allowed himself to be murdered by humans so that he could, after he was dead, raise himself back to life. And yet, this is what Christians have always said is the truth. Look, if, if the early church was interested in gaining a following, if the early church wanted power and authority and money, they wouldn't have said all of these nutty things. You do realize it wasn't any easier to believe this stuff in the first century than it is in the 21st century. People thought it was just as ludicrous back then as, as they do today. Even the disciples are constantly getting it wrong. If you read through the scriptures, they see Jesus walking on the water and that is such a nutty concept to them that they're like, oh, it's a ghost and they try and run away. No lie. Jesus tells them, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna raise from the dead. And they're like, wait, what, did he, what is this guy even talking about? They didn't get it. The first century people didn't get it. So it's not really surprising that these claims would be hard for us to accept in 2019. But you have to ask the question, if they were trying to build a platform, if they were trying to gain a following, if they wanted to get into power, why did they choose such an insane route to get there? Maybe they weren't interested in gaining money or wealth. Maybe they were just reporting the facts as they saw them. So not only did Jesus claim to be God, he just didn't use language that you're familiar with. The disciples used these crazy claims about Christ, claims that, claims that would have been counterintuitive to them actually gaining power and authority. And one of the key kind of um, assumptions or claims when, the, when we talk about this narrative of the, the myth and legend of Jesus developing over, over the years is that, you know, it was hundreds of years before people started saying Jesus was God in the flesh and he did miracles and all those sorts of things. Uh-uh, that's not true. All of the major beliefs about Jesus were present within a few years of his life and death. They were. We have writings in the Bible and outside of the Bible in which Christians believed that Jesus was God. We're talking within weeks of his crucifixion and resurrection. They're worshiping him as God in the flesh. Now, like there were lots of debates about how all this played out, you know? So like, they were like, okay, so we believe Jesus is God, but like, was he like 50% God and 50% man? How did that work? And so they would have conversations and debates and they would read the Old Testament and they would talk through the logic of all of it. But eventually they sorted all those things out so that within a very short period of time, we're talking within like a decade or two, all of the major beliefs about Jesus were already in place and well accepted as fact by the churches in the area. This didn't take hundreds of years to develop. It took a few years. And the scriptures are so interesting because they actually tell us the names and locations of people who could have verified or contradicted the stories that were told there. You realize that? In the book of Acts, there's this story about um, Jesus appearing to a group of people and then he appears to several individuals. And the Bible gives us their names and essentially their ancient addresses. And this was circulated within a few years of the event. And so anybody who doubted this could have picked up the letter uh, that we call the book of Acts. They could have gone to that city and they're like, yo, Timothy, you know they're saying that Jesus appeared to you after he was dead, did that happen? And if it was a lie, Timothy could have been like, no, 
Who said that? Give me their name. Let's square this thing away right here and right now. So we had the capacity and capability from the very beginning to either verify or to denounce the evidence and the claims that were made. And nobody was able to do it. Why? Maybe it's because Timothy actually saw Jesus raised from the dead. Maybe the disciples actually saw him walk on water. Maybe, just maybe, everybody at that point knew he was more than a simple rabbi. One more quick thing, and then we'll wrap this up. Um, You know, this claim that the, the early Christians, they developed all of this so that they could get rich and get powerful. If that was their goal, they royally screwed up. Like they really, really got this one wrong. Did you know that of the original 11 disciples, there were 12, but then Judas ran away and hung himself. So of the original 11 that were left, 10 of them were murdered for their faith within 10 years of the resurrection of Christ. And the last one, he was actually sentenced to prison for the remainder of his natural life. And he lived as an exile on the island of Patmos. The early Christians... They didn't get rich. They didn't get powerful. You know what happened to a a Christian woman? Whenever she, or a woman, when she became a Christian in the first century, her husband divorced her. The government came after her. They would throw Christians in jail. They would torture them. They would execute them. The government did everything it could to stamp out this little band of people. And yet, despite all of that persecution, despite the fact that it never benefited them one bit, the disciples never recanted their stories. They allowed themselves to be beheaded for their claim that Jesus was the son of God. They allowed themselves to be crucified upside down because they said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way that my Lord is. They allowed themselves to be thrown into jail for the rest of their life rather than saying, all right, you know what? We made it all up. People don't die for a lie. Do you know why our our military and our government has outlawed torture? Because it forces people to say whatever they need to say to make the torture stop. And yet the early Christians were tortured for their claims. And they were so convinced about the truth of it that they refused to give up and to lie, even though it cost them their very lives. So if you're thinking, ah, they started this whole thing to get rich and get powerful, you don't know history because it didn't happen for like a thousand years. Like it was a long time before anybody really started to take this movement of Jesus seriously. In the end, I think Jesus himself becomes the best piece of evidence we have for faith in God or for faith in the God of the Bible. Jesus himself is the most compelling, influential, intriguing figure ever. He is a person and a a figure that is without parallel, either in the ancient world or in the modern world. Look at what this non-Christian historian named Houston Smith had to say. Uh, He said, only Buddha and Jesus so impressed their contemporaries that they were asked not just, who are you, but what are you? What order of being do you belong to? What species do you represent? He says, these two figures had characters that transcended ordinary human life to the degree that this question was even necessary. Now, what's interesting is he goes on to point out that for his entire life, from the time he started teaching until the the time he died, Buddha was so clear, I am not a God. 
I am not an angel. I am not a spirit being. I'm a man just like any of you, and any of you can become what I am. He was so clear about that. On the flip side, Jesus is constantly walking around saying, I'm Yahweh. I'm the God of the Old Testament. I've got all power and authority. Y'all need to worship me. Jesus claimed to be God, and he lived a life that seemed to prove it. Tim Keller says, this creates a great conundrum for anyone trying to understand the most influential figure in world history. What is surprising is not only that Jesus' claims were so self-centered. If you've seen me, you've seen God. I and the Father are one. I have authority over everyone and everything in the universe. What is surprising is not only that Jesus' claims were so self-centered, but also that his character and his actions were so completely unself-centered. Jesus is this beautiful, contradictory, insane lovely man maybe God man who changed the world Tim goes on to say this last quote I promise he says we see in Jesus an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies that is in him we see qualities and virtues that would normally we would consider incompatible in the same person we would never think they could be combined but because they are we discover that they're strikingly beautiful Jesus combines high majesty with the greatest humility. He joins the strongest commitment to justice with astonishing mercy and grace. And he reveals a transcendent self-sufficiency, yet entire trust and reliance upon his heavenly father. We're surprised to see tenderness without any weakness, boldness without any harshness, humility without any uncertainty. Indeed, it was accompanied by a towering confidence. He says, any of you, You can discover for yourself his unbending convictions, but complete approachability. His insistence on truth, but always bathed in love. His power without insensitivity, integrity without rigidity, and passion without prejudice. Jesus is unequaled. Listen, put him up against Buddha. I guarantee you Jesus comes off better. Put them against Muhammad, put them against Plato, put them against any philosopher or religious leader and you will see that we are talking about two very different things here because he was not just a good man who had some interesting ideas about God and later his followers built up all of these myths and legends and we've all been snookered. Rather, Jesus was God himself come down to earth so that God could reveal himself to humanity. So that we wouldn't have to listen to some wise men. You don't have to say, hey, Pastor Dan, what do you think about Jesus? Or what do you think about God? Who cares? God already told us about himself. He did it in the person of Jesus. This is how Paul puts it in Colossians chapter number two. He says, to Christians, to people who are pursuing faith, he says, watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. But he says, that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in Jesus so that you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to Christ, that fullness comes together for you too, and his power extends over everything. 
I probably haven't convinced you to believe in God over the course of this series, but I do believe Jesus has the power to convince you to have a relationship with God because Jesus is the perfect human. He was the guy that I was always intended to be, but I never could actually become. Jesus was the person that you were supposed to be who was kind and gracious and loving and patient and had perfect faith in God. None of us could do that. And so we were in trouble on our own. But God came to earth in Jesus so he could live the life that we couldn't live, so he could die the death that we were supposed to die, so that we could have the relationship with God that we were always supposed to. It's a beautiful, wonderful story. And it only, it only happens when you accept it by grace and faith. You don't earn it. You simply ask for it. You do what Simone asked you to do or, or you know, encourage you to do during our worship time, to just cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm trusting you, but I don't have all the answers. Give me what I need. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for those that are here this morning and in Jesus, they sense you. They are coming to see that Jesus was not just a wise man, but he was the savior of the world. And it was you revealing yourself to us through him. And so God, I pray that despite any fear, despite any doubts, despite questions that we all carry around with us, that by faith we would cry out to you. We would say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, give me new purpose. Jesus, give me new hope. That they would have the confidence and the boldness to do that, God, I pray you would make possible through your Holy Spirit. And that, God, for each and every one of us in the days to come, that we would continue to ground ourselves in the word, that we would anchor ourselves to your Holy Spirit so that, God, when we are challenged, when we, when we come up against uh, philosophies and worldviews and paradigms that would tear us away from our faith, we would be so confident in your goodness, your love, and your reality that we would be able to weather those battles and emerge on the other side victorious, more confident and assured than ever that you're with us, you're for us, and that God, you love us. We thank you so much and pray all of this in the name of Jesus.